We have a story that we are living in and that we are telling today. We have been through Lent. We have been through Bad Friday. It is Resurrection Sunday. The first day of the new week. It's an epic sort of story. I don't know if you're aware of this. So what does it mean to celebrate the resurrection? What does it mean for Christ to be risen? And when we talk about the resurrection, we need to make it very clear what the resurrection is. Because for some, sometimes the resurrection gets confused with what happens after dying. For some people, when they talk about the resurrection, they're talking about life after you die in this life. And while resurrection may include that, it actually transcends life after death. And so what does it mean for the tomb to be empty and for us as a community around the world that is serious about this? See, when a community of people gather together like we're doing today and, and uh, center around the resurrection, it becomes a place of hope, does it not? I am waiting for some audience participation. It is not a place that skips out on how difficult life is or a place where we, we try to, that, you know, that race to the finish that doesn't embrace the pain and the hurt. But in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, people can say to each other that it's not over and that God still has the last word. Divorce, disease, loneliness doesn't have to be uh, the last word. God has the last word. To live in a resurrection community is to live in a community of people who are totally honest about the pain and the hurt and the suffering of the world and yet has a great conviction that because he is risen and that death has been conquered, that this isn't the end and we have hope. Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians 15. You can follow along on the screen or you can open your, your devices in front of you. And he says this, he goes, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I've received... I've passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living, although some has fallen asleep. He then appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so Paul is interesting here because he starts with Jesus and he mentions that the scriptures have already spoken of this thing called the resurrection. He says that Jesus died and he rose again. And a whole bunch of people saw him with their own eyes. It's a historic reality. 
Strikingly, there was never any debate in the ancient literature of some of the Jewish rabbis. Jesus was denounced as an illegitimate child of Mary. He was even denounced as a sorcerer in some ancient writings. Among the pagans of Lucian and Celsus, they dismissed Jesus. They basically called him a scoundrel. But we know of no one in the ancient world who questioned whether or not Jesus lived. Paul then takes this historical event and he turns it and he begins to make it very personal. He mentions that he used to persecute, possibly even kill the Christians. He makes it personal. And then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me is not without effect. Paul totally owns up to the worst possible things that he has done. He publicly owns up to his worst sins. He's writing it out for everybody to see. He basically says, don't get lost in the simple historic reality of the resurrection. But this is what it means. It means that God doesn't give up on anybody. And then he shifts gears again. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Again, we need to understand context. In the first century, there was a widely held Jewish belief that in, some, in the future that God was going to resurrect his people and all those who died would be resurrected and entered into Jerusalem into a new heaven and a new earth. Sounds familiar. The doctrine of the resurrection of the dead pervaded Jewish writings. It was, though, not universally accepted by the, all the Jewish parties. According to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, uh, the question of the afterlife was a major point of contention for Jewish theologians of the period. On one side, you had the Sadducees. They were the priestly temple class of folk. They didn't believe in an afterlife, nor did they believe in the resurrection of the dead. But on the other side, you had the Pharisees, who were basically their adversaries. And the Pharisees were experts in the Jewish law, and they believed in both. And once the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the Sadducees and their theology was basically lost. And the Pharisees and their conception of the afterlife became the mainstream rabbinical Judaism. And so from the time of early rabbinic Judaism, uh, the belief in the afterlife and a resurrection of the dead started to become core to the faith. And Paul's telling people, he's basically saying it like this, hey, many of you believe that way off in the future there would be this great resurrection. But I'm telling you now that Jesus is way ahead of that. You're waiting for a bunch of people in the future, but I'm telling you now that this guy has already done it. And then he expands his scope even more. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And Paul's writing, and now he's talking about all humanity being rescued from death. And then he lands his verse on verse 27. He says, for he has put everything under his feet. And now when it says everything has been put under him, it's clear that this doesn't include God himself who puts everything under Christ. So when he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. 
When we look at what Paul's writing to the church, he starts with Jesus and he starts with his understanding of the historic resurrection of Jesus. He then moves to his own personal experience with grace. He then moves into a larger movement to all kinds of people with God. And then he expands it to Adam and then all of humanity and he lands it on God being all in all. And so to Paul, all these beautiful ideas hinge on Jesus being crucified and resurrected. Today, many people in our culture, they struggle with the idea of the resurrection. The idea of somebody rising from the dead. And I would venture to say that there are people here this morning who struggle with this as well. Welcome. Oh, come on, Jerry. Seriously? Really? Resurrection? It's 2018, man. What are you talking about? Haven't we outgrown this kind of stuff? Like miracles, seriously, come on, Jerry, you gotta be pulling my chain. People don't die and come back to life. That's fake news, you know, fake news, it's all fake news. The resurrection is just a myth, Jerry, don't you know? We now have science and technology, we don't need this, this old world stuff. We have modern science to confirm to us what we need to believe, right? Sunday school teacher was teaching a group of four-year-olds. It was Easter Sunday, and she asked, does anybody know what day it is today? And of course, one little girl raised her hand. She said, it's Easter. Teacher complimented and says this, do you know what makes Easter so special? Little girl again raised her hand. She says, Easter is special because Jesus rose from the dead. Before the teacher could say anything else, the girl finished. But if he sees his shadow, he has to go back for seven more weeks. Come on, Jerry, modern people continue to insist that some guy died and three days later they insist that he rose from the dead. That's about as real as the Easter bunny, Jerry. You know, it's interesting when you find yourself on the other side of the discussion as one who believes. As one who says, yes, I believe Jesus is alive. It actually makes you very vulnerable. Because people will begin to fire questions or statements and, and you're on the defensive of what you believe because sometimes you're forced to acknowledge, you know, some of the points that people bring forward are actually good. And maybe I don't really have an answer or a response to that. Resurrection, like seriously, Jerry, it's 2018, miracles, come on. Loopy stuff you can't explain happening, seriously, come on. We have to be honest about this and, you know, uh, you know, really? What we have to be honest about is that for others to question my belief in the resurrection is actually its own leap of faith. Let me explain. You know, he's dead. Now he's not dead. The resurrection raises for us a bunch of provocative questions as to how the world works. And for most of us, we are quite solid with the understanding in our own worldview. This is how the world works. And now the resurrection, resurrection takes place and it begins to challenge our worldview as to like, hey, you know, I bet you never saw that one coming, did you? Like, he's not here. He is risen. You know, you can read the, the accounts and you can assume that, you know, the ladies encounter the angel and ladies, uh, you know, you assumed he's dead, but he's not here, he's risen. That affected their worldview right at that moment. And when somebody looks at you and says, you know, Jerry, I don't know, if I, 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 I don't know about that, they're implying that 
I took a major leap of faith somewhere while everybody else around me is on some sort of firm ground. Again, you religious folks, you know, you have this stuff you believe, ancient myths, fairy tales. How can you really take seriously that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, you have to understand that position in itself is a leap. On one hand, there's a person who says, yes, I believe in miracles and I believe in the resurrection. But on the other hand, the person who says, I don't believe in miracles is often under the illusion that they are on firm ground speaking as somebody who has faith from the place of rationalism. The problem is that's not true. To say I believe in miracles, I believe that people can rise from the dead is a leap of faith. But to say, I don't believe in miracles is also a leap of faith. And when you move from a, a place of faith in Christ to a place of faith in something else, you've not gotten off the path. You've simply switched to another one. Every denial is its own form of belief. Skepticism is its own leap of faith. You know, it, it's just trust in something else. You know, there's a dominant worldview out there that says you can't believe this stuff because, you know, uh, all that we have access to in this world is our five senses. You know, we, all we have is what we can scientifically analyze and empirically evaluate. And that dominant worldview says that, you know, sees the universe simply as a cause and effect mode and and reality is simply reduced to space and time, is simply reduced to, you know, if my way of thinking can't handle it, then it cannot actually have happened. That's its own leap of faith, that worldview. Just like the resurrection is its own worldview. Scholar and theologian Marcus Borg, he said this, he said, broadly speaking, worldviews fall into two main categories, religious and secular. For the secular worldview, there is only this. And by this, I mean the visible world of ordinary experience. For the religious worldview, and I love how he says it, there is this and more than this. Back to Paul in 1 Corinthians, he, build his, he builds that case. 1 Corinthians 15.5, he addresses that Jesus appears to Cephas, the 12, to 500 others. Most of all are still living. And Paul is basically saying to the church, look, if you're struggling with this idea of the resurrection, there are hundreds of people who saw Jesus post-crucifixion. Some of them are still alive. Just go and talk to them. And Paul roots the resurrection not in simply saying like, oh, man, all you got to do is just have faith. Just have faith or you feel it in your heart. Or, you know, if you sing enough verses, he doesn't say that. Rather, he roots it in eyewitness history. And he says, look, so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so is alive. Just go and talk to them. Ask them what they saw. Now, there are four gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection. They all include a very awkward detail. Now, either it's not very intelligent detail or it's absolutely brilliant. You have to decide. When you think about it, that first Easter morning 2,000 years ago began with sadness. 
And I can imagine the followers of Jesus waking up and they're still remembering what had happened and they remember the horror of Friday, the silence of Saturday, and they're remembering their friend was dead and they're thinking their dreams are absolutely shattered. We pick it up in Matthew 28 and it says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Hey, this is the other Mary. There was a violent earthquake, and for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead. That's Monty Python happening right there. The angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, come, come over here and take a look and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now, I've told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. So the awkward detail in this whole story is the issue with women. Now, don't throw your shoes but why on earth would the writers dare put women here in the story? Because in the first century, women weren't even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law. They weren't considered trustworthy witnesses. Josephus said that even the witnesses of multiple women was not acceptable because of the levity and boldness of their sex. Celsus, a second century Christian, a critic of Christianity, he mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene as an alleged resurrection witness, referring to her as a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. So all the gospel writers have the first witnesses to the resurrection as women. And if you want people to take Jesus seriously in that time, why would you include this detail? Why would you land your story at the climax on the testimony of women at the empty tomb? Why put women in the part of your story when there's a whole bunch of people who are simply not going to buy it because that's the cultural norm? It's either incredibly dumb or brilliant. But all the writers say the same thing. They, they either were 100% culturally ignorant or it actually happened as they noted it. And the women being the first eyewitnesses is central to the story. And this is how it actually was. You don't change a story to fit your framework. You tell the story as it is. This background matters because it points to two crucial truths. The first is that theological reminder that the kingdom of the Messiah turns the system of the world on its head. It turns it upside down. In this culture, Jesus radically affirmed the full dignity of women and the vital value of their witness. And second, it's a powerful apologetic reminder of the history of historical accuracy of the resurrection accounts. If these were cleverly devised myths, women would have never been presented as the first eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. Not to mention we find stories of people dying for this belief in the, for the resurrection. The first happens in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is stoned. 
The strongest argument for the resurrection is that every one of the apostles who were tortured for their faith, for their belief in Jesus, they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And while there are all kinds of people who will lie there, uh, who will lie, there are very few who will maintain that light in the face of torture and death. The same apostles who hid while Jesus was being tortured. They encountered something or someone that gave them unprecedented power. And according to the scriptures, that something or someone was the resurrected Christ. Lee Strobel, he goes on to write, he says, the disciples didn't merely believe in the resurrection. They knew it was fact and not fiction. Had they known it was a lie, they would have never been willing to sacrifice their lives for it. Nobody willingly dies for something they know is false. They proclaimed the resurrection to their deaths for one reason alone, because they knew it was the truth. Everybody has faith. And everybody has to take a leap in something. And maybe you have a friend who's really smart and they grew up in a Christian home and they, they, they left the faith and they now consider themselves enlightened and hipster and drink coffee or tea and they read books by, you know, real thick ones by Germans and uh, they don't have room for the church because the church is small, narrow-minded in its belief system. Let me just say this to you, that that person is making a leap just as much as the wild-eyed crazy, charismatic, religious fanatic. Everybody is trusting something. And nobody is on firm ground circling everything else. Nobody is way up on top. Everybody is leaping into something. You got me? Well, Jerry, how can you believe in Jesus and the resurrection? In the very same way that you can trust that A, B, and C, and D. Everybody has faith. Everybody has taken a leap. I believe in the resurrection because I want to take a leap. And I trust and I jump on the biggest and on the widest and on the most beautiful worldview that I can possibly find. And I can find nothing that makes my soul soar more than the resurrection. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, he writes this, the biblical view of things is resurrection. Not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you've always wanted. A little bit later he adds, he goes, Jesus insisted that his return will be with such power that the very material world and universe will be purged of all decay and brokenness. And then he concludes with, and all will be healed, and all might-have-beens will be. Can you think of a better way to imagine the future than this world being purged of all decay and brokenness? To notice again what he writes, all will be healed, and all might-have-beens will be. Can you imagine a better way? God is a God who wants to make it all right. Do you understand what it means for acts of justice and kindness and compassion? When you and I know that deep inside there are certain things that are not right, that need to be made right. You ever find yourself in those positions? 
and sometimes it's not right and we, we ought to do something about it and our conscience is speaking to us. Is that just random or is God saying to us that he loves this world and he refuses to give up on this world and why suffer and go through the, the pain to help this world if this world we live in is just something that's random? Why don't we just look out for number one and kiss everything else goodbye? Resurrection says that it's not meaningless. It's not random because you cannot help but long for justice and long for compassion and long for kindness and, and restoration because we are now hardwired for it in our belief system. It's how God made us and redeemed us and wants to use us. And there can't be a better way than that all because, why, of the resurrection. Because the resurrection says that nobody is outside the grace of God. Isn't that phenomenal? Even for us? Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever secrets you haven't told, the grace of God is suddenly bigger, it's suddenly wider, and it can handle it, and it can absorb it. The resurrection says that it's not meaningless. It's not random because you cannot help but long for justice. You cannot help for long for compassion and kindness. It's there. Resurrection says that confession, that's when we acknowledge our shortcomings, our sins. And repentance, when we turn 180 back to the true path of God that God created for us. It says that those moments of confession and repentance are, are not, so that, not so that we can get some stuff off our chest, but rather that God created us and that God will not give up on us and that God who began a good work of creation in the universe and in you will continue to do that work until it's brought to conclusion. We're pieces of work that he's not done with yet. That is refreshing. Resurrection says that grace is real. Ever look at the universe and you ever have that aha moment? I did this morning. I was waiting for the sun to come up. I grew up in a system where those sunrise, Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning services. I actually kind of missed that. So I waited for the sun to come up. You know, we had bad, bad Friday. I'll tell you, what a dark gathering that was. Talk about heaviness. But talk about understanding what Jesus went through. And then you had Saturday. It's a silent Saturday. Where for me, I don't know about the rest of you, but for Saturday, it was this carryover. It was this, this time of morning. It was not a happy Saturday per se. It was heavy. And here I am getting up before the sun and waiting for it. And I had that aha moment. You know where I have the aha moments? When I put on my sexy snowsuit and I go snowmobiling. You want to know what an aha moment, and maybe you're a farmer and you'll appreciate this, is when you look over the vast prairie and you see everything running away from you for miles but it's flat and it's white. That's an aha moment for me. 
watching the sun come up, uh, aha moment, the full moon, just a beautiful moment, the birth of a beautiful child holding my grandchild, those are aha moments. The look into the eyes of somebody who loves you for who you are. Those are aha moments. Those are moments of God's grace. Moments of God's grace. Because of the resurrection, they are simply glimpses glimpses of what is to come because resurrection is about history headed somewhere it's about the grace of God being real and nobody is outside of his grace it's about hope and no matter how bad it gets resurrection is the belief that says that even even this at some point is going to change and resurrection is the opposite of despair and that's what our world needs today Sir Walter Raleigh was an explorer who, in the 1500s, he left England. He went to America. And I want to show you a clip of him trying to explain to Queen Elizabeth what it's like when you finally see land. I love his words and his use of a particular word. Watch this. Can you imagine what it is to cross an ocean? For weeks you see nothing but the horizon, perfect and empty. You live in the grip of fear, fear of storms, fear of sickness on board, fear of the immensity. So you must drive that fear down deep into your belly, study your charts, Watch your compass. Pray for a fair wind and hope. Pure, naked, fragile. Hope. Medicine, the Archdeacon calls it waiting. Let them wait. Go on, Mr. Raleigh. You were hoping? At first, it's no more than a haze on the horizon. So you watch. You watch. And it's a smudge. A shadow on the far water. unknown out of the immensity 
into new life. That, your majesty, is the new world. So resurrection is the belief that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it is, no matter how long it's been that you haven't seen anything on the horizon, resurrection is the belief that at some point, at some point, you will see land. Others will see land. And all creation will see land. And resurrection is the belief that God hasn't given up on this world despite all the evidence to the contrary. This world is loved. This world is being rescued and this world will not be abandoned. And I personally want to be leaping. I want to be jumping into the faith of something that is so big and so wide and so beautiful that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how long the night is, I will always have some sort of sense of hope. And the resurrection says history is headed somewhere and that God's grace is for everyone and that there is always hope. It's the belief that the impossible is possible. Resurrection is the belief that I, I don't want to get stuck in a closed universe, in a, in a worldview that has no room for the unexpected. I don't want to be one of those people who said that didn't happen when it actually did. I don't want to be stuck in some pseudo-intellectual skepticism and miss the wonder and the awe and the beauty that comes from keeping some sort of at least intellectual honesty and keeping the rigor of always testing things and somehow remaining with a childlike capacity of wonder and an awe of what God's doing around us. And maybe some of the good we see around us is really good and it can be celebrated with no reservation. I believe in the resurrection because I want the biggest, widest, most beautiful worldview imaginable. I want to trust that Jesus is right, right on and he's true and the things that he taught and were right on true that, that they could be trusted and that's why I believe. So let me close with this question as you leave this Easter Sunday morning. Is your worldview opened or closed? Just how big is it? Today you're going to meet three people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. People who have decided to make their faith their own. They're not participating because their parents told them that this is what they should do. They They're participating in this incredible tradition because they're being obedient to what Jesus commanded. You see, we're a hot tubbing for Jesus, basically, is what it is. And we're waiting because our first two are up in Soul Kids right now, and Pastor Shauna is going to be baptizing them. And the act of water baptism is a very important step in the Christian life. In Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus himself comes to his cousin John to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. And then he went on to establish baptism as an ordinance for his church, calling every believer to follow in his footsteps at his resurrection. And we see baptism as very different than 
for, a uh, uh, for an individual than, than christening or dedication. Water baptism is an act of our will. It's something that we understand. It's, it's a symbol designed by God to identify a person as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Baptism in water is this outward representation of an inward reality. In the Bible, water represents this cleansing and, and it represents spiritual birth, both of which are central in the themes of water baptism. And water baptism is an act of faith. It's a place where we announce both to God and to the world that, that the person we were before is dead and buried and we are raised in a new creation, as a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so just as the resurrection demonstrate that Jesus is eternally victorious over death and the grave, water baptism is a symbol of that as well. It's a beautiful picture. It's a witness. It's powerful. Maybe you need to hear what God does in the life of people so that you can embrace his love as well. And water baptism is, is telling everybody what has inwardly happened to me. And I, I'm clear in my commitment to turn my life to Christ Jesus. Everybody being baptized today understands that their old life is left behind and baptism helps us grasp the spiritual truth that the old has died. It's a public commitment. We don't wash away sins. It's the picture of the resurrection. And we don't do it to impress God. We don't do it to impress our parents or other people that may be here today. It's for our own benefit. And so that, with that in mind, I need to lay out some ground rules before we get started. Here at Seoul, you're invited to make noise. You can stand, you can clap, you can cheer, you can do whatever you want when people get baptized. Simple enough? Thank you. We have three people getting baptized today. They're Nevaeh Haynes, Max Stewart, and Laney Stewart. I would like you to put your attention to the screens and watch what's about to take place. Hi, my name is Nevaeh. I'm 11 years old, and I've been going to Soul Sanctuary for about five years. I was born into a Christian family, and when I was at camp and I was about six, I accepted Jesus into my heart. Some of the people that had the most influence in my Christian walk was my mom, my dad, and my grandma and grandpa. Being a follower of Christ to me means to just be kind. Like most of your teachers would tell you to help the poor, but sometimes you need to help the rich to know God too. You don't need to be a missionary to follow God. What we want to do is we want to invite all Nevaeh's friends and family members to come and to stand around. Just be mindful of the equipment. Come on down. Come on, family. Do you want to go up on the stairs? You're okay down here? All right. Got a good front row seat. More families coming. And Natasha, you're going to do a blessing over Nevaeh before she goes under? Awesome. Lord, I thank you for Nevaeh, and I thank you for her willingness to take a stand for you. As she continues to grow in you, Lord, may you guide and teach her, and may you be her biggest influence. Amen. 
Nevaeh, I have a couple of questions for you before you get baptized. You ready? Do you love Jesus? Yes. yes. Is it your intention to follow Jesus all the days of your life? Yes. Awesome. So on the profession of your faith, Nevaeh, we are going to baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The next person being baptized is Max. Please watch the screen. And Max's family, get ready to come on up. Hello, my name is Maxwell Stewart. My mom prayed with me when I asked Jesus into my life. Jesus has been with me since I was a baby. Jesus has made my life happy and makes me feel stronger. I want to be baptized to show people that I have joined God's family. We're going to ask if Max's family and cousins can come and join us up here at, on the platform. Okay. We have... Max's cousin, Arabella, going to be praying over him this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for my little cousin, Max. Please bless Max as he gets baptized today. Please keep him safe and help him to stay closer to you and keep loving you as he grows up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Arabella. So Max, I have a couple questions for you. Are you ready? Do you love Jesus with your whole heart? Yes. Yes. Do you intend to follow Jesus all of the days of your life? Yes. Yes. On the profession of your faith, we baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I love that bow tie. <laughs> Next is uh, Max's mom, Lainey. Watch the screens, please. Hi, my name is Lelania Stewart, and I am 45 years old. I am married to my wonderful husband, Keith. We've been married for 14 years and together for 19. And together we have two beautiful sons, Maxwell, who is eight, and Walter, who is six. And being a mom and a wife and a mother is one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life, and it's one of the best gifts I've ever received from God. I was raised by a single mother uh, who was born again when she was in her 20s, and um, it was her that gave me a great start in life by giving me the beginnings of a relationship with Jesus. Uh, it was not until after I had children I began to really understand what a true relationship with Christ looks like. To this point, I've considered myself a baby Christian. Um, and it's after finding myself in a few pits that 
I truly discovered that there was one person lifting me out of my pit, and that was God. This was my turning point in wanting to take my, take my relationship with God to a more serious level. Um, until this point, I've known that Jesus died for my sins, but wasn't able to comprehend the complexity of his power and his true desire for a relationship with me. I tried too hard to take control of things that I thought I could control, and I now know and see that what the Lord helped me get out of, things that I tried to force in place, they weren't God's will. Um, for me, a pit that I was in uh, revolved around taking care of my family, uh, which is my priority. Uh, being a mom is the most important job in my life. However, financially, um, this can be very hard on a family as you lose one income and money becomes a stressor. Um, this sent me into a panic mode and I decided to go back working a full-time job. Something that took me away from what I felt my main calling was, was being a mom. I thought by trying to take control of a situation that was really out of my hands, um, that things would be fixed, but this was not the case at all, and in a way it was very depressing. Um, I now see what I should have done, and it was take it to God, and He would have guided me to what I was meant to do. So it came from this for me was too much stress on myself and in, in turn that stress manifested itself physically. Um, this turned me closer to the Lord. I prayed for his help and he answered. I now feel that I truly see the light and God's will is now my way. He did and does faithfully provide and I am now able to do the thing that he wants me to do and that I want to do, be a happy, healthy mom again. And every time I feel myself slip, I ask for help and he is always there. I feel that I am no, now, now no longer a baby Christian but a mature believer. This is what led me here today. I want to be directed by the Lord and leave the old me behind and be born again and show others the true joy that one gets to experience in having a relationship with our Savior. Wow. And there's tears going on behind me, isn't there? Now, Mom is here, and she's going to say a blessing over you, is she not? Yes. Please, Mom. Dear Heavenly Father, today, Easter Sunday, we thank you and rejoice that our sins are forgiven. We've been set free from the power of sin and bondage through the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for he is risen. Lord, thank you for blessing me with Lelania as my daughter and for the privilege of being here for her baptism. Today, Lainey, you're making a life-changing decision to grow in a deeper, committed relationship with Jesus, an outward sign in baptism that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. As you journey through your life with Christ, if and when you encounter unexpected hurdles, know that with God's grace you will overcome. I pray the Lord will bless you with wisdom, discernment, knowledge, and understanding as you walk with him in obedience to him. I pray that the Holy Spirit who lives within you will guide you in all that you say and do. In the name of Jesus, I bless you, my daughter, as you give your life to God. You are his. A mother's blessing. You can't ask for better. Lainey, do you love the Lord? 
Is it your promise to, to live for him for the rest of your life, for the best of your ability? Well, then I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may find your seats. Watch the cables, Jerry, so you don't trip and fall. Last year at this time, at the end of our Easter gathering, we took up an offering. It was spontaneous, and I think it's something that I'd like to do again this year. Except for it's not going to be so spontaneous. Go ahead after you, madame. <laughs> uh, in terms of a, an organization that we've uh, um, picked in the city, but I'm actually navel-gazing, to be really honest. And let me just tell you what has happened to, to bring me to this point. One of our plans is to get our nursery area where our preschool kids is up and running and to run into a full daycare. And two things have actually spurred me on in this, to actually go to you, the community, and say, will you give over and above to help us get it up and running? We were able to have the, the government come and they have extended, uh, we've been asking for grants and stuff to get it going, but we have to build it before we get anything back. And, you know, we're kind of running a shoestring budget as we maintain what we're doing here. As you can tell, we have an elevator that will hopefully get fixed. Just pray that the city of Winnipeg permit guy phones me this week. That's all I ask. Um, because we have it all plans to get it back up and, and running. But the issue is our, our daycare. You've heard the story of a single mom. I heard a passing comment this week from another single mom and I thought what are we waiting for and the passing comment was oh man I just wish that this daycare was up and running and I realized that we have we have everything and we have an opportunity to meet the needs of our city that and and really it's it's you I look to you the community to say can you help us out can you help us out meet the needs of the city and my my Easter offering proposal to you is, is that you would just simply take and let the Holy Spirit guide you for whatever you want. If it's five bucks, 500 bucks, 5,000 bucks, I don't really care, but just place it on the envelope, place daycare, put it in the joy basket on your way out. 100% of what you give will go to get that thing up and running so that we can provide something to the single moms and the single dads in our communities. Not you know, all due respect to the daycare that's kitty cornered to us, but that's a for-profit. We want to run a non-for-profit. And we want to minister to our community as we are doing as well. So if God lays something on your heart, that's where our Easter offering is going to go, is to our daycare, to get it up and running. And so I leave that with you, and I challenge you with that. And I invite you now to stand with me and pray. And uh, I'm going to pray. And then Josh and team is going to take over and sing the blessing over you. You may know this blessing. We have sung it a few times. And so I want to invite you as well to sing it yourself. But Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you with a deep sense of gratitude, of, of care, of concern and devotion and love for you. And we desire to live responsibly and responsibly to you as well. We sense that we're with friends in your company of followers, friends who share the life of the resurrection and who want others to get in on it, to notice it, 
to begin in participating at the, the center of what you're doing rather than just being on the outside of the periphery. So Father, we pray for strength and discernment to understand the culture that we are in. We ask your blessings on the church scattered and dispersed and many of whom are in despair. We pray that wherever we are, whatever places we go back into, may we be part of this resurrection life knowing, knowing that you are present and doing your work. You're not anxious, God, about what's going to happen or whether this is going to work or not. It's worked a long time and it's going to continue working. So God, keep us faithful. Keep us attentive. Keep us adorational, sacrificial, and personal. God, we love you. And we acknowledge our pain, our brokenness, our wounds, and we surrender them to you. And we believe that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is risen and that you are reclaiming all of creation. And God, we want to live in this big story, so give us strength to live as you want us to live. Make this practical in our daily lives as we see every person, great and small, facing someday the risen and triumphant judge of all nations. Give us a brokenhearted boldness in the mercy and might of Jesus. And for those who may be here today and who are just saying in the recesses of their heart, I, I want your hope, Jerry. I need it. And then I want to invite you just to pray along with me. Just between you and God, just say, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I receive forgiveness for my sins. Wash me clean, make me new. I give you my life. Help me follow you every day. Lead me, guide me, and make me your own, I pray. Help me believe in you, the resurrected Christ. If you prayed that prayer, tell somebody that you've come with. Come tell us, fill out an info card. Leave it at the information desk. We'd love to follow up and give you some materials. And so now we sing our blessing. Words are going to be up on the screen. He is risen. Ah, uh, one more time. He is risen. Ah, uh, be blessed, people. See you next.